This is the Manips and Sips podcast show, featuring two fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic and sports physical therapists. Join us as we talk all things physical therapy, manual therapy, performance, business, education, research, and of course, Sips. Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast. Uh, today we got a special guest, uh, Joseph Byland. Uh, if I always, if I got that right, uh, hopefully I did. Uh, today we're going to be talking about some education, um, the state of it in both PT schools and uh, postgraduate. Uh, but before I get too much into this, uh, how's everyone doing? Everything's going great. Uh, Joe's kind enough to um, join our podcast for your, our special guest. Uh, just a little background. I, I met Joe via fellowship and uh, actually my fellowship training. He was my mentor for uh, a little over half of my hours um, last year in 2019. Uh, we have like-minded uh, viewpoints on the profession and I thought it would be good and fun to have him on the show. He's a beer and whiskey drinker. And uh, with you, Jeremy, he likes the foot fairies. Um, I believe oh, yeah. the Tot- Tottenham Spurs is um, his team of choice. Oh, it's Tottenham Hotspur. If you want to get oh, yeah, 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 come on, dude. Insult us, foot fairies. Foot fairies. All right. So <laughs> come from a Cowboys fan. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, our quarterback got hurt, so I'm just going to ride that one for for the episode. All right, guys. Doesn't uh, affect your uh, defense, but, dude. Yeah, uh, not necessarily. Um, <laughs> hey, Joe, if you want to uh, kind of give us an introduction about yourself, where you do a little schooling, what you're up to now, and, and then we'll get rolling. Uh, your drink, of course, as well. Oh, well, most importantly, we'll go with the drink first. Uh, tonight, I'm enjoying myself a bullet Manhattan. And uh, if you're a Manhattan drinker and you don't want your bank account drained, cover your ears. I'm going with the Caprano Antigua formula for the vermouth. It is a high price point, but well worth it. So uh, after two and a half hours of cleaning up snow, I'm worrying myself this evening. There you go. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, so I just finished dinner. So I have a glass of red wine here um, and it's bread and butter. It's a Pinot Noir, actually very good. Um, Not not hard or not, doesn't have a good bite or anything to it. So it goes down smoothly, doesn't dry out. so that's my drink of the night. Switching it up, I might have to uh, halfway through the show switch over to uh, a whiskey or a bourbon. So we'll see how the show goes. There we go. Um, so because our usually our guest episodes are usually a little bit longer, and being with a legend Joe here, I'm pulling out the big bottle, barely can fit it on the screen from your employee Marta uh, from Evil Twin Brewing. Uh, it's quite quite the name here. Some people are immune to good banana, maple, bourbon, barrel, aged imperial maple stout is the full name of the beer. Uh, it's a 10.7% and it's one pint over a pint. So if I start getting quiet, guys, you guys know why. But uh, drinking out my trifecta class freshly made from a client of mine. So uh, yeah, cheers, everybody. Oh, this Very nice. Is, cheers. Cheers. This thing is decadent looking. Probably pouring like motor oil. Oh, it, it honestly looked like it. So, I'm not a big banana guy, but I am a huge uh, like barrel-aged uh, anything, really stouts. So I'll, I'll let you guys know how it goes. Good. I'm waiting to hear what it is on the scale. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. 
Yeah, uh, you can you can taste the bourbon in this bad boy. So I I appreciate this. I'm gonna give it eight point five, which is pretty high on my scale. It is Actually, few have been in the sevens. I'm going eight point. I'm going eight point eight. That is, whew, I, I might finish the whole pint by the time this episode's over. <laughs> mm. Dang, that is good. All right, back to Joe. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Joe is, um, the, um, I guess not the clinical director. You're the director of the whole rehab program at, uh, the hospital you work at, correct, Joe? Yeah. So director of rehab services that entails physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech language pathology, and audiology. And that's the whole house outpatient, inpatient, which is acute med surge and subacute. So basically all rehab throughout the whole house. Wow. Very nice. How many PTs and, or staff? Uh, I have about probably 48, 48 or 49. We have a couple of hires in transition. So we'll hopefully be at 50 in the next couple of weeks. I'm hiring a new speech language pathologist. So about 50 wow. on staff. Yeah. Per nice. diems and full times. That's awesome. And Joe, how long have you been in that role for? Um, just over four years. I took that role uh, permanently in uh, November of 16. Okay. And was that during, before, or after your fellowship training? Uh, right in the middle, actually. Right in the middle. Mm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, nice stressor to add. Yeah. yeah right. You know, had a kid, had a kid right before I started it. Um, then took this role over and then my younger daughter was born a month later. So, uh, you know, getting those hours in was, uh, was fun. My wife is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, he traveled to Kansas City too to get some hours done, right? We, uh, I was with the uh, the very very talented and skilled young brothers, and uh, out in um, Overland Park, Kansas. And Kansas, then, sorry. And then, uh, well, it's right next to Kansas City. Um, and then um, with uh, Chris Johns, another one of my fellow um, in my cohort out in Allentown. Yeah. And then, uh, as you as you know. The uh, you want to talk about legend? The legend Jim Phillips did some hours with Jim as well. Yes, yes. Jim is a, a local legend here. Um, has groomed a lot of um, notable therapists uh, throughout the country in, in his day. So um, I, I did some hours with Jim during residency training. So I got a little little taste of him. But he was your your professor at Seton Hall, right? You have your uh, your PT degree from Seton Hall. Yeah, I graduated uh, in 06 from Seton Hall. And the first time I actually saw manual therapy put to work, you know, we all have to do our um, volunteer hours and, you know, didn't get to see too much, uh, you know, enough to turn me on to the profession. But the first time I actually saw manual therapy put to use was uh, in class with Jim. And that's, <clears throat> that's basically what made me want to become a fellow, just seeing the power of someone's hands, uh, be able to make such drastic changes. Um, that's what pretty much drove me to it. Yeah. So can you dive into, I guess, your, your process and why, you know, cause you, you did your fellowship after what, 10 years or so of being a PT? Uh, just about. Yeah. yeah. Probably nine or 10 years getting into it. And um, you, you had did the, uh, the great Lake series. I think you had said um, in our private conversation, when we were mentoring you, you were telling me kind of your, your evolution. So if you could just kind of share that with the audience. Sure. Um, like I said, I graduated in 06. Um, having a fellow teaching your manual therapy courses, you know, you're learning a lot of things coming out of school and, you know, lucky enough to be 
learning manipulations, you know, not just, not just lumbar spine, like the basic ones, like, you know, learning some high level cervical um, lumbar manips and extremity and being able to apply that to practice right away. Um, you know, also coming out of school, you're like, oh, I'm badass. I know all this stuff that these guys don't, but uh, you know, you, you get humbled pretty quick if you have, you know, have the right attitude. And I, I started seeking out different schools of thought. So uh, I was urged by my first gig to take um, McKenzie courses, which I did. I took some Maitland, took some Great Lakes and being very methodical and very much liking order. It's probably my German background and upbringing. Uh, I, uh, I really latched onto Great Lakes because I liked their approach and they were very much, this is the way we treat. It's nothing new. It's uh, it's a smattering of this and that, and it's effective. And it worked for me for a while. But uh, you know, finally, I always say I'm a recovering joint jockey. Uh, you know, you fix the joint, everything gets better. But you know, I learned quickly. You know, I, actually, I shouldn't say quickly. It took me a while to come around. Once I started fellowship, I learned quickly. But uh, you know, you can only correct so many posterior nominates, uh, and before you're like, what am I doing with myself? You know, patients are coming in with no pain, feeling better, but you have to fix them. Uh, and I feel like, you know, that biomechanical model served me very, very well in my career, but I realized there's gotta be something else out there. And I gotta, you know, I, I found Regis when I was doing my research and, you know, their whole approach of, we're taking different minds, different approaches and coming to the table and discussing as opposed to, um, you know, following a model that was very free form, which I liked. Um, and, you know, my eyes just completely wide open and completely changed the way I practice now. Yeah, Cam, Cam who's the uh, director, um, often calls it a fellowship versus a fellowship. Uh, and I think we've mentioned that on the show before, but like you said, Joe, we're, we're taking different ideas um, and, and now talking with about them, which I think, you know, your, your, your background kind of leads for that. You, you, you did a little Maitland, a little McKenzie, you know, some of Great Lakes. So you, you had all these different schools of thought and principles that now you, you really kind of got to sharpen or, or, you know, trim up some of the fluff um, via fellowship and, and, you know, combined everything, but also uh, come out of some of those rabbit holes, I guess. Yeah. I, I think one of the, the common things is, you know, no matter what school or say, you know, postdoc, education i mean not to disparage anyone but you know everyone's selling something and a lot of it's a brand and some of it very very good um and it gives therapists a great platform and you know um therapists like us who have taken a lot we're fellowship trained we go to a course i think it's great value for someone who's had enough as much training as we do if we can get one great idea and two good techniques out of a course then i'd say that's a solid weekend um mm. And then just help other people around you that maybe, you know, aren't as adept with the manual skills, you know, just being there open-minded and helping out. But, you know, I just, I don't want to say cookbook because that's not what it was, but I just, I, I, I felt like I wasn't thinking enough for myself and I needed to find a way to basically collect those thoughts, put them together and just come out with, you know, just a different path. Because the one I was on was, I'll put it this way. After I was in the middle of my fellowship, I had a patient come to me. This is when I was still treating full time. And she was like, thank God you're still here. Five years ago, you said my back was out and you fixed me and no one else can do that. I was sitting there. I put my hand on her knee and I looked her in the eyes. And I said, 
I am so sorry. I am, I, I apologize for putting that thought in your head that A, you were broken, B, you needed to be fixed. And there's only one person who could do it, you know? Mm. And we had a nice long conversation um, about just, we actually went into my evolution. He's like, why are you talking about this? And you know, what's made you change? And, you know, just apologizing and talking about just pain and movement and, she got better a lot quicker than she did the first time around, you know? So, uh, it, um, like I said, just trying to find a better way, a better path. Yeah. And he did that after, you know, 10 years in the game, which I would say most PTs by that point, you know, are, you know, either checked out, you know, or they just kind of, they're going to kind of do their bread and butter and, and keep going. So, mm-hmm. you know, being able to do that. And we've talked about how, you know, your fellowship training, uh, and maybe it's also your evolution to your new role, how you've now kind of transitioned to you have to be that guy to, to fix everyone versus now my role has evolved to let me be more of a, a leader and kind of help the people around me be just as good or close to it if they can be. Yeah. I, I mean, we all treat in New Jersey. So we know I, the, the joke I always use or the saying I always say is I work at, the hospital I work at, Mountainside Hospital Montclair, if you throw a rock, you're going to hit a PT clinic and the ricochet will hit five more. And one of them will be your clinic. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, without naming names, there's a lot of just not excellent therapy going on. Mm. You know, it's a business. And, you know, you mentioned Cam. Cam McDonald said one thing that, you know, really stuck with me is we did, no one got into this field, you know, expecting to be millionaires. If it happens along the way, fantastic. Respect the hustle. But we all, what he said was we all suffer from the peace gene. You know, we all want to make people better. We, that's why we got into this. And Mm -hmm. I thought, and I lost sleep over like, well, how are they getting all these patients? How are they, you know, how are they brimming? I know the product we have is better. And I'll take it back to a talk I had with one of the docs in the area who I went to had an elbow issue. So I went to get it checked out. And he, was, he says, do you hear this? And he was clicking his knee. I said, yeah, didn't you have your ACL done? And he goes, yeah, did my rehab over at so-and-so. I said, you're yeah. upstairs. Why don't you, why don't you come down here? He goes, well, they have turf. I said, turf? If they have turf, your knee is clicking. Like that is, you're an orthopedic surgeon. Is that okay? You went to a place that had turf. So, but, you yeah, know. But that's your selling point, turf. Yeah. You're, you're no, yeah, turf. Yeah. Have, Sometimes uh, it's parking. Yeah. Unfortunately. Have, we have turf and we're next to Smashburger. Oh, I just said that. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, the garlic fries are good, though. What's that? I said the Smashburger garlic fries are good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, sure. it's, but it's, sure. it's, I, I, I spent so much time trying to treat patients so well that it would make people want to come to us. So, and like, you know, I lost sleep over and I was like, finally, I just had some epiphany. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm just like busting my ass trying to be, you know, Johnny PT and, you know, make people come here, but it, it's, you know, it's not going to work unless you have support of your leadership. And, you know, our director at the time was a physical therapist and had a great therapist, great guy, but he had so many other roles in the hospital. When he left, you know, you asked me, how did this, how did this happen? It just basically fell on my lap. They're like, well, you're here. You've been here longer. You know, everybody you'll be interim. We'll give you a shot. And I said, categorically, no, do not want this job. I'm a clinician. I work with my hands. I don't sit behind a desk. I don't pull strings. I, I treat patients. And 
basically was having my second kid. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Make my own schedule. I don't have to work till eight o'clock. I could, uh, you know, be at home to, you know, when you have a second kid, you know, it's no longer uh, zone coverage, it's man to man. So mm-hmm. it's like, I could be home and, you know, help out and be a lot better. But as I took the role on, I saw that, you know, I could order this equipment. I could spend some time mentoring. I could spend time uh, approving these kind of courses. I could develop breakout sessions and competencies and raise the skill level of an entire team to create the best game in town. So being the advocate for the therapists, giving them the tools they need to succeed, created a better product as opposed to, you know, spinning my wheels, trying to make everybody better. I think that's what burnt me out was just like, when you're trying to do something so well, you stick with the model that you think works. And then finally, when it doesn't, you're like, what's going on guys? I think make a great point about, you know, the impact of like leadership in the clinical setting and also in the, in the education setting with uh, Jim Phelps, as you said, like he did something beyond probably what most, you know, PT programs are doing probably at the time, definitely what they are right now of like shit going to that extra mile showing you advanced techniques and versus like, here's a presentation from the year before. Let me just show you a couple of quick things and then off on your own. And that motivated you to keep like pursuing different styles of therapies and then into fellowship. But um, then, you know, fast forward, you know, now you're in the leadership position and how you can make such an impact on so many other therapists. Um, I got that experience when I was a director, there was only like three therapists at the time, but um, you know, it was a tough pill for me to swallow. Initially it was like, Oh, I'm the residency. I'm, I'm checking out my outcomes. I'm the man. Uh, I want people, you know, come Christmas time, give me all the bottles of wine and booze because they think <laughs> I'm the man. Um, but then like actually take a step back and, you know, you can now impact five, 10, 20 therapists so that when they go out, they can impact five, 10, 20 therapists um, and move the profession forward. I think it's a huge impact. Um, I know my they, they, during the retirement party of the person who started my program, they did some sort of statistical sort of thing of the average of how many PTs, uh, how many patients each PT saw of all the graduating classes underneath there. It was some astronomical number of how many people she directly impacted as a result. And uh, yeah, I think it's cool when you start to look at what you can do in positions like yours there, Jeff. Yeah, no, it's, it is very rewarding and gratifying. I mean, I, I basically, we had no interns in the outpatient setting when I, in, in 09, when I took the lead physical therapist job. And we, I, you know, we had so many interns and had so many people come in through, uh, through the hospital and then through teaching at Seton Hall. Uh, I had one of my con ed courses and um, I had, uh, you know, I, I was never in a fraternity, but I had my little and my grand little sitting next to each other. And it was, uh, it was really cool. And then having them tell, you know, to, to see being an advocate and supporting therapists and then seeing them support therapists and have them, you know, it's, it's not just about the clinical aspect. It's seeing them providing people with opportunities to basically advance their practice and just get better. You know, that's another reason that I chose Regis, you know, with talking with people was it wasn't just about being a physical therapist. The cool thing about Regis was, you know, we had a guy who started the DPT program. You know, we have a guy who is 
um, trying to change the game in how we do workers' comp, basically taking it from the, oh, they must be faking it to, no, let's get these people in PT right away, get the best outcomes, and you know, change the way that's reimbursed. We have people doing research. We have people in education. It's, uh, you know, it's not, you know, fellowship to me in the past was always, they manipulate very well. They are very good with their hands, but it's the clinical reasoning. It's the, you know, the passion to teach others and lead others to the places where they can get to help other therapists kind of pull us forward and, you know, get the respect that we deserve that we're definitely lacking right now. Mm. Yeah, well said. I mean, you know, we could only treat so many people in a day, but you, you help other people out, you know, and you have five people treating 20 people a day or 10 people a day, whatever that number is for each clinic, you're, you're going to impact more people. Um, Joe, you had said something to me and you just kind of reminded where you like fellowship to me was like your great hands guy or, or gal. Um, but your philosophy of that changed in your, in your program where you're like, all right, maybe you don't have the best hands, but you were doing other things very well. You mind just uh, sharing that? Do you remember that um, conversation we had or? Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I, I think don't want so. to say too much because I don't know what you want me to say and what not to say. So oh, no, you can correct me if I'm wrong. No, I think yeah. um, in my in my cohort alone, um, I don't think I'm saying anything, saying anything out of school. We had people who had phenomenal hands, uh, and we had people who did and are doing some amazing research right now. And you know, they may not be as adept at manipulating as the person next to them in the classroom, but they're pushing the. It's about pushing the profession forward. Mm -hmm. It's not about who can get, you know, the best, you know, OA manip and the best mid cervical down glide, you know, with the best cavitation. It's that doesn't really matter. It's are we making patients better? And then if you're doing research, are we providing people with the evidence to basically support what we do? I mean, we had, um, with obviously it was this year, I didn't go to the virtual layout, but, um, when the, uh, the evidence about treating the, lumbar spine and the uh, cervical spine for extremity. So we've been doing that for years. We know this, like, mm. what big deal, but no, now we have an article that talks about it and shows it. You can show this to, I don't know how many times I've forwarded articles to docs having to support what I do. And then they're like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, All right. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, I, I sent you in for a shoulder. Why are you, why are you treating their neck? It's like, well, and then you have to explain it to them. Now I could just be like, here you go. Read okay. this. No, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's not just about great hands. It's about what are you doing to push the profession forward? And, uh, you know, the people that are doing the research, if they could also manipulate incredibly well, fantastic. You know, mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest holes in my game when I went into fellowship was uh, exercise program development. Because like I said, I was a joint jockey. I thought if I fixed it and you started moving around, if I manipulated it, mobilized it, you started moving around, everything's going to be great. It's going to fix itself. You know, mm. and uh, just latching on to those people who just really have such a great, like working with Brandon in the clinic, you know, I was mentoring him. <laughs> he was mentoring me right back a lot of times. Um, just watching someone look through someone's movement. That wasn't something I really, I don't want to say I didn't care about it, but I was just like, no, you got to get on the table. That's, that's where I, that's where I shine when you're on the table. But now I spend so much less time on the table and so much more time with movement. And it was those opportunities and being with different 
people offering different things, just making my practice so much better. Yeah. I mean, we haven't formalized in residencies and fellowships where you have to work under or alongside with somebody. I mean, that's, that's where the magic happens. Those side conversations, the, they're just mm-hmm. the back and forth of, hey, what do you see here? Uh, this is what I see. Um, why do you think that? Well, this is why I think. You're just going back and forth and, and sharing mm-hmm. stories um, is where all that, uh, all the good stuff really happens. So, you know, for those of you out there who aren't in residencies or fellowships, you know, reach out to somebody and see if you could, you know, hop in for an hour or two. Mm-hmm. Um, most most therapists are going to say, yeah. But um, with that, Joe, that kind of transitions us to, you know, your leadership role, you're, you're now, you're, you're TAing or do you have like a, a, a more of a class in Seton Hall with the MSK department? I know you have your own continuing education company as well that you're teaching. Um, you have obviously administrative role at your office or at the hospital where you get to sign off on continuing education. So you're really trying to hopefully lead and guide, um, you know, both future therapists, current therapists, and even seasoned therapists to a better path in the profession. Um, and I think that's what our, the crux of our, our talk is going to be today. Like, what do you see in the education model and, and what needs to change? Because I, I know both you and I, or all three of us really, we, we could teach continuing education and we're trying to put that, that spin on it, that quality spin, um, you know, where we're having that, I guess, well-rounded approach um, and not a biased view. So if you can share your thoughts and your evolution with that. Uh, I think with this one, I'll work backwards. Um, thing that raises a lot of eyebrows when I teach you courses sometimes, uh, you know, I'll say, so someone comes in with right-sided neck pain and is it a stuck the set? Is it a, you know, tissue? Is it X, Y, or Z? And I'll say, I don't care. Uh, how did they get there? I don't know. I don't care. And I, I obviously I care I'm not being cavalier, but what I'm saying is there's a movement deficit there. The evidence supports treatment approach I'm going to use and I'm going to make it move better. And then within a certain window of after I apply this technique, I'm going to strengthen it, retrain it, reeducate it, and you're going to feel better afterwards. That's what I care about. I care about what I'm doing is supported with the evidence and it's safe and it's effective and I could retest what your deficits were. And I think that completely just has just does not at all jive with the medical model and i think to answer your first question with the second question we're too hung up on the medical model in people school you know we spend so much time trying to find what the you know the damage is or find what the you know the thing that's not working properly is and you know we're not spending enough time on movement like just okay there's a movement deficit but we have to find the exact tissue that's you know in trouble or hung up and now, how else could you have a board's exam if you approached it from such a, you know, from an outside view, such a nebulous way? You know, when someone comes into the, the clinic and they're like, what do you think is wrong? I'm like, well, when you're squatting, you're, you're kind of like veering off to the right. What's wrong with that? I was like, well, it could be a whole host of things, but let's apply this technique that might kind of wake some things up. And, you know, I would never think that way five years ago. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be like, well, oh, it's, it must be, there's, there's a closing problem on the right, which is causing a rotation in the ligament and oh, it's, you know, and, and that's that medical model that we have to exhausting. be hung up on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's completely exhausting. It was, it was funny. I remember um, when we were doing our lumbar cor- course, uh, Paul Minkin was teaching the lumbar course. And what he did was he took um, 
everybody in their intro had to write what their main approach to low back pain was. And we had some, we have some McKenzie, some Maitland. We had, uh, we, we had an Ola Grimsby uh, trained uh, therapist, which is very cool. Um, mm. We had some SFMA people and we had um, some other things. And I was the only one who was biomech and they all looked at me like, he's admitting to it. And then Paul was like, well, you know, and if you know Paul Minkin, he said, yeah, I threw the, <laughs> I threw the biomechanical model away with my comb about 10 years ago because I didn't really need it. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, and, but it was cool because in the whole weekend, you know, he would throw some things in about the biomechanical model. And I don't think it's useless. Definitely not, because you can get some great test treat retest out of it. But you know, if you're hung up on it, um, I think that's the problem. Education, and we have to have something to, we have to have something to uh, to measure, right? And the whole point of PT school is to come out, not hurt anybody, and pass the boards. Be able to mm. do peds, neuro, cardio, palm, integumentary, musculoskeletal, not hurt anybody. Um, and I think that's the big problem is mm -hmm. we're not teaching doing enough on clinical reasoning in the different courses. We're doing fact finding and sleuthing really that's not the value for the amount of money that, you know, we're paying in PT school now. Yeah. Coming out yeah. You know, six figures in debt. Absolutely. I was just talking to our, our last guest who was um, Tom, who was my mentor and he's, try and get some changing at our old all no matter. And their big thing is what they're hung up on is their pass rate of their, of their boards exam, which is yeah, fine and dandy when everyone can pass a test. I think most people who are end up getting a hundred thousand dollars in debt and spend three to two to three years of their life are going to pass no matter what. So I don't know if that's even a good statistic to rely on, but that's what they're hanging in their professionals like we don't need a change as long as our pass rate's fine as long as we prepare them for the boards which let's face is how many years behind at this point um then we're okay versus uh i know we i think it's arcadia where this is their faculty says passing the boards like to the students is on you guys we're going to teach you to be better clinicians so they bring case studies they try and get um different thought processes in, um, you know, teach them higher level techniques and those sort of things. And I think that's, a, I agree with you entirely, Joe, that that's a huge problem is just this hell bent, make sure everyone passes and then good luck to them on the, on the tail end. I think well, we a, need to start. It's a business. Yeah. It's, it's just how many more, I mean, how many more PT schools are popping up? Uh, you know, it's, that's the great thing about our job is we're always going to be in demand and mm -hmm. how can i get more people in the door oh we have a very high pass rate uh doesn't arcadia correct me if i'm wrong doesn't arcadia have like a regional approach to where they do like the shoulder and they'll do anything that affects the shoulder whether it's mm -hmm. neuro musculoskeletal cardiopalm they do all that in like different blocks they do it like based off of cases so they'll present yeah. a case to like and that'll be their modules versus we have msk one two three we have a shoulder patient and then they bring all this sort of thing so you have to apply multiple things very similar to like the regis model and um you know kind of the discussion that you know brand and i had with steve over there is you know using different approaches like neuro to apply to a 
orthopedic patient and vice versa in the hospital. Uh, so that's from what, from what I know, obviously I don't teach in that program, but um, from what I know, that's what they do. And it definitely seems to help out with their students. I think a lot of what another issue is a lot of the three plus programs or whatever that, you know, the, the dual degree programs, the bio degree coming in and mm -hmm. how much, like if we're being honest, how much of that do we really use, you know, you know, some of it, but there's probably a way we could streamline it to have, you know, narrow it down for physical therapists. And so much of what we're doing is, trying to get people to move better and talking to them and trying to be more effective communicators, you know, there's not enough uh, psychology, sociology, that kind of stuff. There's not enough of that in the program. You know, those are electives True. where how much organic chemistry did I really use in PT school? Yeah. You know, it's, so it's great. It's great to try and learn linear thinking and problem solving, but I mean, how much of physics, Know, the, all those formulas like how effective was that you know that's basically like you know like we said it's a business it mm -hmm. we have a high pass rate come here undergrad get this bio degree you'll get us you'll be guaranteed a seat and then you'll move forward mm -hmm. yeah uh i agree with with that i i've said that for i've been out seven years now um they, I, I think they just need to change the criteria and whether that goes with CAPTI or putting less emphasis on pass rate or, or, you know, maybe they need to change the interview process. So they're, they're actually getting the right people in. Um, because I think a lot of PT students um, are overwhelmed and, and kind of overmatched when it comes to understanding movement. Yeah. They could take a test. Yeah. They're smart people. Don't get me wrong. Um, but can they pull in and have that kind of mind that thinks and instead of maybe that three, seven GPA person, maybe it's that, that three, one or three, two person, um, because they just can see things better. Um, you know, I think we've all had it, you know, where we have somebody in our, our cohort and we're just like, I'm not letting that person go anywhere near me or yeah. anybody I know. Like it's, it sucks <laughs> to say, but it, it's no, true. But it's. And, no, you know, like we they're the ones with the highest know, GPA. Yeah, they're the ones with highest GPA. <laughs> they're book but, smart, know, which I mean, yeah, but takes our, it someplace. But is that everything in this very hands-on and very you know high communication yeah. uh, profession and movement analysis and yeah, those sort like, of things? But would someone be... played a sport or was exercise science and did some biomechanics stuff? Exactly. I think to your point, you know, is it what we need in movement, but I'd say no at the undergrad level, but you know, if, if we put in it, if we actually had like a track where you did more than just your research methods class and you learned what a confidence interval was and maybe, you know, I always pushed for a model where, you know, right before you graduate, you know, you have those kind of like fluff courses. It's just like kind of, fill the fill the gap for CAPTI to get those credits. It's like, why not have like, you know, a month where people who really want to get into research have somebody who knows research and you learn from them. Have like, you mm -hmm. know, somebody like a fellow can do like an advanced manual therapy course and, you know, take what they learned in the clinic and then, you know, apply things like, you know, the, the you know, hyperdeductive reasoning model, like approach a patient from a way that's not just, you know, looking at like the, 
are schools still using the HOAC model? Like that's just like, you know, the last part is implement tactics. Like it's like an hour long subjective and then you don't even touch the patient before you start, you know, I've had PT students in the clinic where they're like, you didn't ask them more than two questions. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm going to ask them as we go. It's going to be okay. Don't worry. Sit down. Stop sweating. All right. We're good. You know, it's, uh, I think, again, we're following this, we're following what is successful and measuring success by pass rate and enrollment and the amount of students you have there, APTA members. And, you know, like that does not a good clinician or, you know, researcher or educator make, you know, I went to a I went to a school that has a 98% pass rate. Congratulations. Good job. Like, what does that really mean mm. for us in the, you know, in the trenches trying to push the profession forward? I think yeah, so, a better, oops, go ahead, Brian. No, no, go, Jer. I think a better statistic would be to kind of track your graduates and see how many of them are, well, I mean, you're a great, seems like a great director there, Joe, but, um, you know, a lot of it's just like, yeah, you, you've been around long enough. Congrats, you're a director. But uh, you're at least a director that, you know, motivates and, you know, fosters growth in your place. But how many of those individuals get into director positions? How many of those are your graduates are in research? How many of them have owned their own practice and those sort of things? I think that would be, um, you know, maybe some stats that maybe, you know, our programs should start to track versus purely... Well, you passed. Well, keep it, uh, keep yeah. it even simpler. How many are at the level above or any level above staff therapist? There you know? Like if you're, if you're eight years out and still a staff therapist and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like huh? I've, I've worked with therapists who, you know, 30 years practicing and they just, they, they say, you know, they use the line, you know, I'm, I'm a good soldier. Don't want to be a general no aspirations like I, you know, and they will be your best warriors. They will be the best clinicians, but you know, again, like how many have, how many have published articles? How many have, you know, actually attended a conference? How many, you know, Brandon before said, uh, if you want to get involved, ask a therapist. And I guarantee you 99.9% of therapists who are fellowship trained would love to have somebody who's interested in fellowship come spend time with them. That's, that's part of the, you know, that's part of it. Like I remember Scott Rezac was, you know, we were talking at uh, Regis when I was testing out. He was like, if I find out that any of my mentees charged somebody for hours, like we're going to have to have a conversation. You know, it's like you do it because you want to push the profession forward. You do it because you love what you do and you want what you do to be relevant and respected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Joe, what um, I know we, we've tossed tossed some some ideas around. What what do you think needs to be done in the education model? We got, I mean, like, I don't know how we're we going to do it. Are we shortening it? Are we adding? Because you, I know you said add some electives in. So we're either making school longer, or we have to cut some stuff out and, and put that stuff in. If so, I mean, I don't have a great answer for that. That's a good question. I think. If so much of what we do, so if the whole, if, if the success of a program is weighed on passing the boards, you know, do we really need some places, two semesters of pediatrics? You know, let's just say that so much of what we do 
like, all right, so when I graduate, my wife is a physical therapist and she's gone through the Herman and Wallace course and she treats pelvic floor. Technically, it's within our skill set to assess certain things, but are we going to do that? No, because we don't have the advanced training, you know, um, like, like some of the neuro stuff, like NDT and like, you know, advanced stuff there. Like so much of what we do is post-grad. Why not maybe add a little more value to clinical thinking and case studies, like Jeremy said, and trying to make it a little more practical if we end up in the clinic. Now, how many times do you have students walk in and be like, this is what a patient is? Like, this is nuts. I remember my first student, I gave her two evals in, her first two evals were in the same day and they were both total knees. And I was like, this is gonna be a layup, it's easy. The first guy was born without patella. So, and he had a total knee replacement. And the second one, his leg was so blown up and tight and swollen. It, his skin looked like it was going to burst. It looked like, and it was as red as a lobster. So, you know, presenting case studies where, you know, Mr. Jones comes in, you know, eight days status post right TKR and, you know, there's an infection there. Like, how do you handle that? When you're a PT student, like, you don't really, you mention it offhand, but like, that's practical application stuff. Like maybe you're not spending so much time on trying to give them, you know, give them everything because I've forgotten more than I learned in PT school. Most of what I do now is based on what I did afterwards. You know, I passed the boards and, you know, all my orthopedic training, like I, I couldn't pass the boards now, you know, cardio poem, peds, like I honestly, like could anyone, you know, it probably yeah. not yeah, if you're being Steve. honest on, uh, you know, without, without, stu without studying. You know, yeah. but, you know, so much of what we do is after maybe spending more time on like talking to a patient and talking to different kinds of patients and in different types of situations, you know, like, yeah, I don't have a really great answer, but I think changes need to happen. And I think we need to rely less on passing rate versus the quality that you're giving, because if you're charging this much money, a lot of schools have good passing rates, but what do you give? What's the value? And I think yeah. so many of the courses we give are sectioned off. If we have like a common mm -hmm. theme, like if we apply the same clinical reasoning model into all of our courses, then you learn a linear way of thinking. Then you could treat, not linear, but like a specific type of way of looking at it. Is it this? Is it that? And then you could treat any patient if you have a good clinical reasoning model. We spend so much time on the medical model that, you know, what are we going to do to break out of that? Yeah, I, I think with that, we, I don't like the emphasis on grades. Forget pass rate, grades. Uh, I think students now, even more so than ever, they just Google everything and they memorize it for the test. And then it's <laughs> they got in three one sources. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I take students year round, um, mentor residents, you know not as frequently, obviously, just because there's less residents. I'm starting to um, do fellowship training now, obviously, at a, at a different level. But, um, you know, my point is I, I've seen a lot. And, yeah, they have a, a 4.0, but they can't recall crap. All right. I, I ask them to show me their textbook or, or their ebook, and it's like, oh, I didn't get it. All right. Well, that's this chapter. It would have been in, you know, McGee book. Um, what'd you do? I just Googled it. Like I hear that all the time. 
you you that's the same person's gonna put their gpa in their resume yeah yeah which is what does that mean at all um pull 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 things forward like yeah the internet's there when we you know okay the patient left let me look that up real quick but you need to have some clue you need to have some clue how to how to connect your anatomy class to your musculoskeletal class i mean Mm. you can't do that there's there's a problem and i really think it's just they 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 take the test they learn their information for the test i shouldn't say learn they memorize it for the test and then literally just flies out flies up the head Mm. and then just relearn relearn everything for the next test and then it goes out and we're, we're we're prepping crammers that's all people know how to do is just cram for mm-hmm. a test and then it's out but there's no actual processing information synthesizing information and, and then being able to to uh you know put it out there that's that's yeah. great for your that's great for your non-core undergrad courses can i uh mind if i open up a can of worms because i based off of what you guys are saying and i feel that it's partly related to potential CAPTI requirements of who's actually teaching the courses, who's teaching mm. our education <laughs> is, you know, is it uh, a problem that most of the education is provided by individuals who haven't seen a clinic in 10, 20, 30 years? Is it because, you know, a lot of it's like, oh, well, you don't have a PhD or ED, you cannot teach in this program. Um, do we need more clinic clinicians teaching uh the actual pt so they can connect the dots of like oh yeah your anatomy that you crammed for well that's super important in your musculoskeletal um and vice or neuro and all these sort of things and help connect the dots because they actually see what's out in the real world versus you know 10 20 years you, you get removed from a lot of things again as joe said i i couldn't tell you a lot about you know cardio or pediatrics because like seven years removed from it so i can't imagine you know 20 years sorry i had to open up that can of worms is it really a can of worms i think it's obvious it's it's a great point you know and i think that's why i i think i think all programs if you have the facilities and the the ability faculty should be treating patients I think they should be absolutely have to do clinical hours. Uh, you know, a lot of schools that are on big campuses offer specific types of, you know, these kids are in, whether they're an undergrad or graduate, they have the school insurance. And, you know, if you have low back pain, why can't you go see one of the PT faculty that works from two to four every Tuesday, you know, at least for a couple hours, they're getting their mm-hmm. hands dirty and, they're seeing real life cases. That's, you know, that's the most important thing is to be able to relate what happens from the book to the clinic and to the patient, to real world situations. So, I mean, I don't think it's a can of worms as much as it is an absolute, it's a glaring hole in what we're doing at the education level. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, a couple of the questions, Joe, to, to kind of, as we, near the end of our, our podcast or show today um two questions um one i'm more curious than the other just because of when you did everything i think you know i mean you set up the, the show with that so I'll, I'll just start with that one actually what advice do you have for those seasoned clinicians um who have kind of quote unquote given up or maybe burnt out um 
you know, they, they have a kid or two or three, a wife, they're working and they just say, I'm too busy. Um, you know, I, I would go back and do this. So I've always wanted to, but, but I can't, you know, people don't understand, but meanwhile, here we have yourself over here. You jumped into a new position. You had your, the birth of your second, second child and you were in the middle of a, a fellowship program. Um, what advice do you have? I mean, it's easy for me to say I did everything when I was, you know, single. Um, and by I single, I mean not married or with kids. So what would your advice be to that group of people out there? Because I, I think there are a lot of them and they don't know where to go. Um, there's definitely stuff out there for you. It doesn't have to be as deep a commitment as a fellowship or a residency or you know, whether it's a certification or not, it's just, if you feel like you're in a rut or things are just, you know, you're kind of burnt out, do something that challenges you. Fellowship challenged me. I was, you know, coming out of school, uh, went to work at a, a very good clinic and, you know, thought I was the man, you know, like I was working with these therapists who weren't really using their hands as much. And, you know, that kind of steamrolled into, getting a, a lead therapist position where there's not that many therapists. And then eventually you kind of be like, there's so much more out there. Um, I named my continuing edu education company, advancing practice, physical therapy. I think the three of us, we have, we use advanced practice, but I think the three of us will completely agree that we are not done by any means learning. It's a lifelong process. We're lifelong learners. We want to be challenged. And if you're burnt, challenge yourself, start with a weekend course on something that you aren't really comfortable with. Um, I'm a fellow, but there was a very long period of time where I did not manipulate cervical spine because I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. And I didn't think it was safe. But then I was like, well, I see other people doing it. It must be safe. So I started diving into the research and I was like, you know what? It is safe. How am I going to do it? So I started taking some classes. Do something that makes you uncomfortable. And you're going to find that when you take these courses are other people that are very uncomfortable. There are other people who are super comfortable and the two of you will meet and you'll have a great weekend because, you know, if you're going into it with the right mindset, you're going to meet people with similar mindsets and you're going to learn a lot and you're going to make some contacts and you're going to find ways to not be burnt. And if that's a fellowship, awesome. I think anyone who really wants to push their practice forward should look into fellowship programs. Uh, I, there was a guy who took my last course that I taught he was, I thought he was like a seasoned vet just by his age and his ability. He was a year and a half out. It was his third career. And he was leaving my course and the following weekend was going out to, I think it was Gibbons and Tehan maybe. I, yeah. uh, and it was like, wow, like this guy is just like getting into it. And like, you know, you don't have to be that gung ho, but like just, I think do something that makes you a little uncomfortable and mm -hmm. that's okay. That's how you grow. Like you don't, you don't get better by doing the same stuff you've been doing, which is exactly what I did for years. I just did the same crap over and over again. A lot of people got better and that's how I measured it, but that was not the measure, you know, it's not the measure I should have been looking at. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what we've talked about this many times. That's what leads to burnout. Just kind of the boring yeah. monotony. You're not challenging yourself. We're, we're meant to mm -hmm. be challenged. hundred percent. Yeah. I think I think you got uh, the, doing something uncomfortable. I mean, you see on all these 
motivational posts and everything like that is, you know, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone to grow. Uh, I think that's a big point. And uh, in talking about my game mentored by Brandon, I'll, I'll, on the days that I'm out of the office and I go in and start to describe what I do with Brandon and that sort of stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah, there's some parts where we talk about, you know, I bring some things in and then there's the other half where he's questioning and challenging me all the whole time. And there's times where I'm like, Oh fuck, (laughs) I fucked up. Um, (laughs) And people are like, wow, that's gotta be pretty uncomfortable or, you know, that that's doesn't seem like fun. I'm like, no, that's, that is the best thing. I mean, I enjoyed that thoroughly uh finally getting challenged and getting pushed um you you can the amount of growth you can have in just a couple hours of being forced to think outside of what you were thinking is is huge huge for any growth so uh, i think i got more in a couple hours than you know reading you know 10 articles i think uh, something i use i'm sorry go ahead no no go joe i when uh you know what I'm an adjunct at Seton Hall in the musculoskeletal courses. And, you know, at the beginning of every, the first class of every year, you know, they ask you to introduce yourself. And the one thing I, I beg of the students, I say, you really need to not be afraid to be wrong. You have to just say, if something comes, trust your gut. And if it's wrong, big deal. You're going to learn out, you're going to learn why it might not be the, the best answer in that moment. But, you know, what's the point in just, always doing something that you know is either right or going to work. You know, you, you have to not be afraid to be wrong. And I say that to the students in the class. I say that to them in the clinic. This can't be, you know, those, like you said, Jeremy, those sessions are probably more valuable where you answered every question correctly, or, mm-hmm. you know, you guys agreed on everything and that all the techniques were spot on. You're probably learning more in those where, you know, you fucked up. You're probably getting a lot more out of it in those sessions. Yeah, no doubt. and you know when when I'm mentoring and I got I mean I, I was really lucky having uh, John as my mentor and I'm not saying that because he's on the show um, and Lee who is my other mentor and I try and do this now when I'm mentoring I know what I'm thinking I want to hear your side of it too maybe I'm missing something um, you know maybe we could come together and, and you know even think you know two minds are better than one type of deal I, I think Joe and Lee did a great job in, in letting, you know, me kind of express my side. And they were like, oh, I didn't think of it that way or, you know, whatever the case may be. So instead of it more of a, you know, a teacher student role, it's a, it's a peer role and let's have an open discussion about it, about things. Mm-hmm. I think that needs to kind of trickle down into some of the, the lower levels, you know, where you're at the residency and even entry level um, side too, obviously, the entry level side is going to have a much, much, uh, I guess, shorter lease or perspective, but you, you need to get them to get their, get them talking so they can get their wheels turning to develop that thought process. Because if you're just lecturing and they're just, you know, listening, one half the stuff's probably just not even registering. Um, but two, it's not, it's not causing it to sink in. We've all had those CIs. The second you walk in the clinic, they're talking at you. And what's the first thing you do? You look at your watch and you're like, yep. Shifts over at six. Can't wait to get out of here. It's like there's no value in that whatsoever. So, yeah, awesome. Um, last question, Joe. What what would your advice be for students? You're you're TAing now. Um, uh, your director, where you you see you know interns coming through, uh, newer grads, even seasoned clinicians. What would your 
your advice to students and new, newer grads be? Um, I think new grads, I understand because I was there looking for those jobs that give you the big dollar in the benefits package. The salary is very important, obviously, because we all came out, most of us, you know, weren't lucky enough to come out of PT school without some sort of debt. But if you take a job where you're going to get the ability, I think here's one thing that's lacking in PT school. Chiropractic school blows us out of the water. The business aspect, they don't talk about it. They don't talk about benefits packages. You know, you got to look at how much continuing ed money you're going to get, how much mentoring are you going to receive? You know, yeah, you might make X amount of might make X amount of money, but you're treating four to five patients an hour. You're being urged to take your laptop from work home and document at home unpaid, and you're going to suffer burnout. My advice to new grads would be take the take the leap of maybe not chasing the dollar right away, being able to advance your skills, get better at clinical reasoning, make patients better. And then after two or three years, you can find a job that's going to give you that payday because you bring something to the table. If you go to work at a place where you only can be with a patient for a few minutes, you're not going to develop those really crucial, critical thinking, uh, you know, deductive reasoning skills that are going to help you help people for years to come. Your payday will come if you work for it. It's, if you chase it right out of school, you're probably not going to be in a position to really be bringing something to the table when, you know, if you kind of like maybe, you know, ate some ramen for a couple of years, you might, uh, you know, you might be in a better place, get that filet mignon after five. There you go. Yeah. yeah there, there's some studies, I believe one of it's uh Karas or Karis um, that talks about therapists who are mentored. Um, one don't tend not to burn out to have a higher leadership roles um, and they're just, you know, happier and more fruitful. Um, and they actually, in the long run, get that top dollar that everyone wants right out the gate. Mm -hmm. So you just have to kind of delay that gratification. If you think about it this way, if you look for someone, if you look for mentorship and you do very well, when those people eventually move on and take on leadership roles, who are they looking for? You, mm -hmm. not somebody who was, you know, in the quote unquote mill. Exactly. Awesome. Joe, you've been a, an awesome guest real quick before we wrap up. I know you mentioned it and alluded to it earlier. You just uh, do a quick shout out and plug of your CU business. Um, uh, Joe's obviously here in North Jersey. Um, obviously I know we, we have ours, but there's no competition, nothing but respect here. I think there needs to be more of that um, in the PT community. Uh, Joe, you and I, we've had talks about that, but quick, quick um, plug for your, your company. Yeah, company's called Advancing Advancing Practice Physical Therapy and Consulting. You can find us at advancingpracticept.com. Uh, and to Brandon's point, yeah, I mean, we're, we do kind of similar things, but there needs to be more people putting out there the quality. Not necessarily a way, just a good way to do things and a good way to think and just sharing. It's My weekends are probably a lot like your courses. It's more of sharing techniques and showing people what works really well and collaborating with like-minded therapists you know having a room full of eight people can sometimes be a lot better than 30 uh just getting down to brass tacks learning from each other and you know like i said advancing your practice you should never rest on your laurels that's what we want to do 
And to Brendan's point, we need more people doing things like this, providing quality education um, that's different from the, you know, the paths or the set ways. So check us out at advancingpracticept.com. Awesome. Any any uh, upcoming courses in like the first quarter of 2021 or? I uh, got a couple of courses um, ready to go. Just, you know, given the current state of the world, I don't really uh, have anything locked in yet, but, you know, more to come on that. Gotcha. All right. Well, best of luck. Uh, I have to make my way over one of your courses. Uh, definitely. So let me know Likewise. when you're having one. Oh, and yeah, um, with that, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up. Jerry, you want to do our parting shots here? All right. Uh, well, uh, Brandon, I think you know the schedule best. Uh, we also have our courses. Uh, and did, Brandon, you want to talk about the, the rebrand? Yeah, we... yeah, I guess so. Actually, I was working able... on a bunch of emails today, so they should be going out um, tomorrow and over the weekend. Uh, we were switching or kind of rebranding our Pursuit PT education line to an Institute of Orthopedic Sports Manual Therapy, so IOSMT. Um, couple reasons for that. Uh, just make it short and sweet. One of them is to kind of create some lineage between my clinic um, and that as well. So there's not as much overlap, but there's some other reasons. So if you um, join or are already joining our mailing list, keep an eye out for that. If you're not, um, go on to our Instagram, uh, IOSMT, and we're actually having a giveaway now. So um, you just have to follow us and, and give us your email. Then you can uh, follow us for all the courses that we are having. We have our mentorship program. Um, actually, we have Jeremy and I have a call shortly right after this uh, for that. That's uh, rocking and rolling. Um, so just kind of stay tuned, guys. We got a lot coming out. Oh, and actually, real quick, a webinar series, which Joe will be a part of as well, coming out in February. So uh, more to that, uh, more to come on that. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of fun things in store for us for 2021. Uh, yeah, so follow us. If you have any questions, comments, concerns in seeking mentorship, uh, you know, as Joe said, you reach out to just about any PT or any fellow. We're always willing to help out. Uh, so, f- you know, feel free to reach out to us on Manips and Sips on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm at The Decent Doctor and at Trifecta Therapeutics. Brandon's at uh, Think Like a Fellow and at Pursue PT Now. All right. So thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, cheers. Cheers, guys.